Hey everyone, it's John Kerwin here and I'm really excited as this is my brand new podcast called Open Minded. For those of you who don't know me, uh, if you're coming in from overseas or wherever you are in your beautiful part of the world, I'm a former All Black rugby player um, from New Zealand and I've been a the face of mental health in the country, little country of New Zealand for the last 15 years and I'm incredibly passionate about the mental well-being or mental health space. So for me, I just want to do a little quick intro to tell you what this show is going to be all about. There's so many podcasts out there, but I didn't find one for myself that really nailed the mental well-being era that we're all now in. You know, I'm really, really intrigued in all facets of mental health and well-being from leaders, from people who are making decisions, from normal people. So for me, um, understanding it, making it normal, helping people to understand it, and then with that, hopefully getting rid of a whole lot of different stigmas around it, because we all have mental health just like we have physical health. So this podcast is interviewing inspirational people from all walks of life, right? All walks of life. I love meeting people. I don't know what you guys are like, but I absolutely love meeting people and they intrigue me. I love laughing and hearing their stories and their views. Specifically, I want to talk with them about how they are looking after themselves and how they might be transforming workplaces and cultures through their approach to well-being. You know, I think sometimes leadership is a hard place to be. So how do you lead in this mental health era? I love podcasts and I love listening to people's stories, like with an amazing CEO, but really do we get to understand what keeps them well, peel back those layers, understand their take and approach on what is one of the most important things in the world right now. Well, it's certainly the most important thing for me. So I'm going to be bringing you amazing people every episode that we can all learn from to inspire, provoke ideas, have actionable insights. Actually, what do we take from this? What do we do? How can we put this in our day? And how can you invest in yourself and your people to do mental well-being well? I don't want to deliver fluff. You know, I want to give you the real stuff that's happening every day in the minds of these leaders, how they stay well in high-pressure roles, how they have bounced back from challenges, how they build resilience in themselves and the people around them, how they look after their people. So this is JK. For those of you who don't know me, everyone calls me JK. And this is Open Minded. So let's go. So people, my first ever open-minded podcast and I sat down with a pretty cool guy to start with, Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. He has led New Zealand's response to the COVID pandemic and in doing one, and in doing so, excuse me, won amazing fans, respect and actually celebrity status here in New Zealand and many parts of the world. For those of you outside of New Zealand during our lockdown at one o'clock every day, this man would stand up and tell us what was going on. And he did it in such a way that he has created this awe and this, this yeah, celebrity that is probably never heard of for someone in his position. It was an absolute pleasure sitting down with him and understanding what keeps him well, 
how he has dealt with daily stand-ups with the media and all of New Zealand watching, the importance of resilience and recognizing when you need a break. Such a calm, level-headed leader. We can all learn so much from. So, enjoy. Well, hello everyone. I am absolutely ecstatic to be with you here today. I'll do a little bit of an introduction if you're coming from outside New Zealand. Um, I'm a broken down old rugby player that's very passionate about um, mental health. And for me, to be here today with Dr. Ashley Bloomfield, who is our Director General of Health and also CEO of the, the whole Ministry of, the Ministry of yeah. Health. But the most amazing thing I want to talk to you about today is that during COVID, this man here has been an absolute pillar of strength. So eight months ago now, mm -hmm. the good doctor had to get up and introduce himself to New Zealand. And everyone's going, Doctor Who? And now he has been a lifeline for our country with his honesty, um, with his ability to tell the truth and be transparent. And um, for him to gift me an hour of his time today to just talk about that journey um, is a real honour. So my mum passed away a year ago. And um, when she passed away, mm. people would come up to me and say, um, we loved your mum. Mm. And I said, yeah, I love my mum too. Why did you love my mum? She said, you always gave us time, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And um, for you to give us this time when I know it's incredibly busy, really appreciate it. So tell, tell, me, tell me about the last nine months. T firstly, tell me about fame. My daughter said to say, she loves you, by the way. Thanks to you. And I hear that all the time. Yeah. When I came, you know, said to Peter, I'm coming to talk to you today, I said, I tell him we love him. He's awesome. Mm. How you go from introducing yourself to today where you are this... I don't know if cult figure is the right word, but it's been an incredible mm. time for you. Yeah, quite the journey, JK. Look, it's great to be on uh, on with you today, and, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, these issues because they're really important. And and I guess as with eight months ago when I did my first stand up, the room next door here, small room full of media, nervous as heck. Twenty uh, seventh of January, I still get nervous now, but one thing hasn't changed right from from day one. It was just being myself and um, being true to myself. And, and especially in a situation where, you know, whilst you know something like this might come along and happen and you hope it doesn't, when it does, you're never quite prepared for it. So all you can do is get up every day, play what's in front of you, work with your team members, but above all, just be true to yourself and your values. And so, you know, the funny thing was, as, my, uh, as people got interested and my reputation grew, or at least my visibility grew, uh, and people would comment on this and that, and my staff members would just say, well, we just see you being yourself up there. And I guess that's the most important feedback I can get. And as soon as, I, as, soon as that changes, then I realize, I'll realise something's wrong. But in the meantime, it's just get up there, be myself, be open, be authentic, be honest, say what we know, what I know, what I don't know. And if there's something that hasn't gone right, say, okay. We'll go and look, look at that and see how we can fix it. That is easier said than done, though, isn't it? So were, were there forces around you that made you second guess whether you needed to change yourself? I mean, were, were you pulled from different areas about, oh, maybe I should do it different? Well, of course, one of the things about my role as a senior public servant is I'm not a politician, but I'm operating in a political environment. And, you know, at the moment we're in a, just coming up to an election, so there's a lot of politics being played out. Um, all the more important then to just keep um, you know, true to the values and stick to who I am 
and the role I've got here, which is as a public servant, so I'm here. You know, my employer is the public of New Zealand, and that's always top of mind as I think about who I'm speaking to through the media. And, and you know, the media provides that direct channel out to the public, and I'm constantly thinking, what is it that the citizens of New Zealand would want to know? What is it they need to know? The thing that always intrigues me when I see you up there is, is it that um, obligation to the public that would give you the strength to maybe push back to the politicians or people that are trying to, you know, because it is mm. human nature. So you feel a strong responsibility to the public and that would give you the strength to maybe push back when you need to? Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, as a public servant, you know, the, the most important thing you're giving is free and frank advice to, uh, to the government and to the politicians. And so every now and then, that means, yes, you, as the saying goes, you have to speak truth to power. And especially in a situation where there's so much at stake, um, and this was one of the big challenges early on, you know, the, the, the classic leadership challenges, giving advice on and making decisions in an environment where you've, in this case, not just got incomplete information, you've got hardly any information, and the stakes are so high. I mean, giving advice to basically lock the country down for four weeks uh, is pretty high stakes. I never thought I'd do that in my career. And did you sleep that night? How have you been dealing? Like, yeah. you know, we all ruminate, we all have yeah. big decisions to make. Um, when you're thinking about those decisions, I mean, how do you actually switch, you know, the grey matter off to get some sleep and get the energy that you need? I found it really hard at the start because this thing just came upon us and I've talked about, uh, you know, dreaming about COVID-19 for those first few weeks and I realised that I wasn't really sleeping well and, and knew that that would affect my ability to, to perform well. And so I sort of got this, I, uh, there was almost this pivotal moment where I made this shift and I thought, well, it's that classic thing is, what is it that I can control? Because most of this I can't control. So I can control how uh, I can control how I behave, how I come across. I can control the information I've got and how I communicate that and the advice I give. All the rest of it, I needn't worry about. Uh, and all I can get up each day, do is get up each day and just play what's in front of me, draw on my skills and my experience and, and sort of back myself. Because I've talked about this as well. Moments of self-doubt, heck yes. Heck, what's you know, what is my advice good? The other thing I found really helpful, of course, in these situations is the people around you. So, when I was giving advice, it wasn't just oh, this is what I think. I would talk to people who I know and trust and respect and get and triangulate my views. What do you think about this? And of course, that was hugely helpful. The more I did that, the better I slept. I think the hardest thing around leadership is actually the ability to reach out. So, you know, how did you? make that decision to say, well, I can reach out, I don't need to do this alone, because a lot of leaders that I talk to feel that they should have all the answers. I mean, is that something you struggled with? Did you feel vulnerable at times? Look, I didn't really struggle with that because uh, I've always been of the view that you're only as good as your team, and I've got a great team of people in this organisation, and I could see and had, I could see the support and feel the support from colleagues across the public sector. Um, and so that, it wasn't difficult in that respect. And in fact, it just kind of helped me build confidence in the advice I was giving. And also it gave the politicians confidence in the advice because if they, as they do, they like to go and get their own advice or check on, on and for themselves. And if they know I've spoken to all these other people, then that helps um, you know, give them confidence in the advice. Now this next question is a real big one. Born in Wellington, studied Born? in Auckland. Born in Napier, actually. Born in so Napier. I'm a, I'm a Hawke's Bay boy. Oh, I was just going to yeah, say, yeah. not Hurricanes? 
Uh, and def- not blues. I, I'm, I'm definitely Hurricanes. I, I've been asked that question. So, no, I'm a Hurricanes man. So, born in Hawke's Bay, um, first six years of my life in Marae Nui Napier, then shifted to Tawa. So, actually, Tawa, Tawa nice. is what uh, for me. And these were the days when Murray Mexted used to play for the Tawa Club, nice. used, wearing his all black socks, I seem to recall, uh, uh, occasionally. But, um, you know, I, I loved growing up in Tawa. And then you went to medical school in Auckland. Uh, got a medical degree and a lovely Auckland wife. She's now got used to living down here. We came back down here about yeah, just over 20 years ago. So and she'll be supporting the Blues, at least someone in the family. Actually, I think we've converted her oh, to no. the Hurricanes as well, mate. Yeah. But the reason I, I brought up rugby is I rang my old mate, Sean Fitzpatrick, the other day. Yeah. Worst roommate ever. Don't ever room with a front rower. Those, yeah, it's not... Not good I'll, at all. I'll remember that one. But when he became yeah. captain, they yeah. give him his own room, so yeah. that, that's a good thing. But I rang him and said, um, you know, how are you going, mate? How's the UK? And he said, you know, JK, when, when we grew up, our parents would talk about the war, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, the depression and all those things. We're going to be talking about COVID. But the, the interesting thing watching you is no one knows this. Yeah. There's no blueprint. You know, this is what we talk to about. To, to the leaders that are, that are you know, um, part of Mentimia, we say there's no rules, no blueprint, there's no books. Yeah. So how, how do you deal with that uncertainty? Because I'm sure you don't have all the answers and don't pretend to, but you're making decisions. It must be so difficult when so many things are grey. Yeah, that is the big challenge. And, and again, this is the sort of the, the, uh, the leadership challenges is how you um, give good advice and make decisions when... No one knows what's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty. And it, it goes back again to what are the things, and it's the same in our own lives, what are the things I have control over? Because there's an awful lot that we can't control. And then it's, it's making sure, well, what is it I can control? And if we look then at our journey over these last eight months, well, we haven't done it perfectly, but by goodness, we've identified how to get it on top of these outbreaks when they happen pretty quickly, and we've just had the most recent one in Auckland, and we've been preparing for that, particularly, say, our contact tracing system, and it's performed really well. We're not going to rest on our laurels. We're reviewing. We'll go back in and keep improving. And this is a point I've been trying to make over recent days. You know, uh, It's not going to go 100% right, even if you know what the playbook is and you've got a playbook. It's not going to. But we can't afford to let every little everything that happens that isn't perfect, we can't afford to call it a failure and say, Who's responsible? Who's going to resign? Um, because we just will stop learning and we'll stop, we'll stop adapting. And that's what served us really well in this today. Like I mentioned before, Fitzy said there's no blueprint for this. Yeah. None of us can get any of this right. So how do you look back on some of the learnings and go, mm. OK, I now need to move forward? Yeah. yeah, look, this has been a really important part of our successful response is that we were prepared to review as we went along and you know, one of the things about doing those daily stand-ups is I got immediate feedback every day through the media about what wasn't going right, uh, because someone would have um, someone would have written in or rung or sent an email or a GP or a nurse somewhere wasn't getting the PPE they needed. So there was a lot of immediate feedback, and it was really important in terms of being successful that we were listening and being. You know, it's the classic thing about a leader. If you want to improve, you've got to be open to hearing feedback and you've actually got to actively seek it. Well, I was kind of actively seeking it each day through those stand-ups. And one of the things I'm really proud of is we've done, I don't know, well over a dozen or more reviews of different aspects of our response. Quick 
and then learning, and then what have we got to do to change? Uh, and that's, you know, it's, a, it's an important um, lesson for leadership and for life, isn't it? You know, yeah. seek feedback. Sometimes it's not that comfortable. No. Kids are pretty good at giving feedback, I know. And yeah. uh, they give it pretty honestly and pretty immediately. How did you personally move on mentally? I know that when I had a bad game, it took me a few years mm. to actually dump it pretty quickly and then move on. So yeah. mentally, how were you doing that when you obviously felt so much responsibility? Yeah, and there were a couple of moments that had quite a lot of publicity where there was a perceived you know, major failure or something had happened and there was one in particular where I said, well look, um, I'm responsible for the system so I'll take responsibility for what happened and for sorting it out. And it was a pretty tough time, I think. I got asked by Mike Hosking uh, several times to when I was going to resign. Uh, but uh, you know, you've just got to again go back to centering yourself on your values um, working with your team around you, drawing on your, your reserves of energy and so on, and thinking about the bigger picture as well. It's, uh, it's a long game, this. And you can't, uh, you, can't be a, you can't let yourself just trip up with every, everything that might not go 100%. So you're standing up there in front of us one o'clock every day. You're yep. leading us, staying calm, although you might have been uh, tracking underwater a wee bit. How do you walk off that and then lead your people? You've got a fantastic team that yep. I'm sure just can't concentrate on COVID because you've announced it full over. So how do you lead down in those moments? What are some of the things that you do to keep your team functioning? You know, giving away some of the um, responsibility, delegating. I mean, how do you lead? So, I mean, a couple of things here. I'm, uh, the health systems are very relationship-based uh, area anyway. So. Uh, it's not a command and control environment. If anything, over the last eight months or so, we've done a lot more directive sort of command and control leadership where we've, where we've had to, and much more than we normally would. But inside the organisation, you know, this is the key thing in a crisis. Your people have to be empowered to do things, even without, sometimes even being asked. And again, it's one of our successes as a public service here. I've got so many examples of where people just did what needed to be done without even being asked. They didn't wait for permission, and we achieved so much because of that. And so I guess it's the sort of how you create your leadership culture in peacetime will then translate into where you've got a crisis situation and people feel enabled and empowered to do the right thing um, without having to wait for you know 15 signatures on the bit of paper. Some people say that there's always a silver lining you know, within a crisis. What have been some of the positives that have come out of this for you and your team in particular? Well, one of the positives is actually a thing in the wider health system. Uh, it's a huge system, and even the Ministry of Health's a big organisation. And some of the changes that we've, we know are the right thing to happen across the health system that would have taken five or ten years happened in about a week. And I'll give you an example. The use of video technology for consultations in primary care and general practice, or even from the hospital, outpatient consultations, instead of making someone take half a day off work, travel across town, sit in a waiting room with a whole lot of people for a 10-minute appointment, they could do it by Zoom. Same with general practice, they moved really quickly to doing most of their consultations online to protect their staff and, and to protect their, their, their uh, patients as well. But actually, they found it, and the interesting thing is for mental health consultations, it was profoundly helpful mm. because people could have their whānau around them, even if they weren't in the same home, they might be on a Zoom call. 
And so it was, you know, the feedback we got, it was incredibly useful. Now, we would have been five years before we had shifted the sector in, in, a, in normal circumstances, and it happened in the space of a couple of weeks. As a leader in that environment, is that an attitude you take to those particular meetings? Because like a lot of doom and gloom around, like, you know, there's a lot of negativity coming in. Do you consciously go to those meetings and say, right, what, you know, what's some of the great things we can do right now, or you just let it evolve? Well, uh, again, it's, it's, if you look at the health system, there are a lot of smart people in there and a lot of people who do want to innovate and do things differently. And so the, when, when the situation arises where it just has to happen, it's amazing how quickly new things are adopted. But, you know, the other point you're making here is uh, because it is high pressure and because um, uh, there's so much at stake, it can feel a bit overwhelming. And every now and then with the team, we just pause at least once or twice a week and say, let's just reflect on what we've achieved here. Um, what have we done? Look what we've achieved to protect our people, to protect our health workers and our health system, and actually to keep uh, New Zealand for much of this year functioning uh, as it was pre-COVID. I think a lot of leaders of big organisations could learn from that, right? It's yeah. also important to reflect on the good things you've done, but not after a month, quite frequently. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, that regular sort of celebrating success. And sometimes those might be just small things, but you've got to, you've got to stop and reflect and just acknowledge and thank people. Again, it's that, that being grateful. Uh, you know, one of my sayings I say to my kids is, pat someone on the back today. Mm. And it's just amazing. You, you give some positive feedback to someone and you can just, you can see them soar, and it's great. Um, I, I often talk about my sharks. Um, I tell a wee story where I went to a psychiatrist and, and um, she taught me how to hypnotise myself. I didn't end up doing it for too long, but I went surfing and it was really good for me. But the second time I tried to do it, there's a whole lot of sharks in the water. Yeah. And I went back to her and she said, JK, they're your sharks. And basically my one is I felt dumb. Left school when I was 15, got told I was dumb at school. Um, you know, felt I was dumb. Second one, I had an imposter syndrome. So when mm. I scored a try against Italy, for example, World Cup, I came off thinking, when are they going to find out that I'm not good enough, I'm just lucky? Yeah. But actually, they're now my triggers. So I've made peace with those sharks and know they're not true and don't believe in them. But when I get really stressed, they start coming back. I might yeah. think, yeah. JK, what the bloody hell are you mm. down here interviewing the doctor for? You know, you yeah. dummy, what are you doing? I knew if, that, if I was feeling yeah. like that, it means that I'm under you know, pressure. So do you have triggers that you know, I'm getting stressed, you know, actually I'm getting stressed, I need to just take a step back. Do you have things that you know? Mm, better be careful here. Yeah, well, well, one of the things I know when um, I, I need to take a break is I speed up, actually. Mm. I start, so, so I'm sort of, I, I go even faster and my wife usually points it out to me. So I know I'm getting, to, it's near the end of term, I need that week off. One of the things I've found over the last eight months, and I've talked about this, is how, uh, you know, getting I'd get to 10 in the morning knowing I had to stand up at 1, and I'd just automatically, my cortisol levels would start to rise, and I'd start to sweat a bit, and I'd get focused, and I'd, probably my team noticed the difference because I'd, I'd start to go in a bit on myself as I start to, started to pre prepare myself. And it was when I got to a day where I didn't have a stand up and it got to 10 o'clock, same reaction. Mm. Could you know it was like a trigger, and I could feel, and then I realised, well, I need to have a break because otherwise I'm not going to be at my best as a leader, as an advisor, 
and certainly as a person. So um, th those are the things that I can feel. And, you know, come off, I'd come off the stage after my one o'clock and be just, you know, because it's such a focus, you're in the arena, really. Absolutely. So I'd be really sweating away and thinking, gosh, you know, was that all okay? And, and, and you know, team would give me a little bit of feedback and we'd be fine and then I could move on to the next thing. But it's just that knowing what those triggers are and then thinking, okay, what, what this means for me is time to take a few days off. Did you get better at it? So understanding your triggers, I think sometimes we just rush through and ignore that and just yeah, think it's normal, yeah. but understanding your triggers, so did you get better? Because I think some of the stress is good, right? You can't yeah. walk in there too relaxed. That's right, you're, yeah. So what did you do to get rid of some of that anxiety? Getting up there at one o'clock, change something? Well, in terms of how I uh, prepared, you know, the key things I knew were then making sure I was well prepared and just taking that time to just centre myself before I went up there. But it's also, you think, you know, before every interview, gee, am I going to go okay here? It's all right, I've done this, I've done this before. Mm. You know it's going to go okay, just keep, keep the preparation right, keep centred and keep focused up in there. But again, it's that I'm probably much more attuned now to those triggers than I was before I started on this, this latest eight month journey. Mm. Um, because you, uh, previously I would, just, I would just sort of roll with it, but it wasn't too stressful. But there was so much at stake here that I knew, right, now I've got to just do something specific about this and take some time out. Do you judge yourself after it and say, like a test match, we used to come off and go, you know, didn't go that well. And yeah. do you do you judge yourself afterwards? You make peace with it quickly. How does that work? Make peace quickly. Don't dwell on it. But you know, my comms, comms team here are fantastic, and uh, we, you know, I'll come off and, and you usually know when it's gone well. You can say, yeah, I think we went well today. Or there might be a couple of things, and 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 usually there might be a phone call from the minister's office if there's something, <laughs> something you've said that you know. But but it's always in thinking. Okay, what do we say? How, um, how could we how could we maybe tomorrow just you know um, provide some clarity or turn that around or get the message out we want to get out? Yeah, that's really interesting. So I'm sitting around watching um, one of your uh, one o'clock stand-ups, and someone in the audience who we can't see ask a real qu a question where us around the room saying, if that was me, I'd walk off the stand and just, you know, tell them what I thought. I mean, how do you actually, do you take a breath? What do you mental, what's the mental process when someone is actually just trying to, you know, have a bit of a dig or saying something that, you know, no one, that, no one knows what COVID is going to bring us tomorrow, let alone, yeah. you know, so how do you deal with that? Are you that quick? Are you just... Yeah, well, a couple of things. One is, of course, uh, the more I do, the more comfortable I feel, and, and then you develop some skills, particularly in, in responding to those questions that might be curveballs. But it comes back as well to thinking about, well, what are the key messages I want to get across here, and what is it, what's the impression I want to give the public? And one of the things that I've had a lot of feedback on, particularly from kids, I've had so many lovely letters from children around the country, is the fact that I was calm during those stand-ups, even though I was conveying information sometimes about deaths that we had had from COVID. The fact that I was calm and reassuring, it sort of didn't matter quite what I was saying, but that it was actually mm. how I came across. And this is, a, I think it's a really good lesson for all of us, isn't it? It's, it's that old saying about people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. No, that's that, uh, incredibly important. So how about your own anxiety then? You've gone from being relatively unknown to um, having a, an amazing effect on our country. You've showed calm, 
Um, you, I read an article the other day that said, you know, you are like the swans. Sometimes you're standing up there, but your feet are going under yeah. the water. I mean, has it changed you? Are you more anxious, less anxious? Have you had to work overtime mentally to deal with what you have to deal with every day? Yeah, look, it's been quite a journey, uh, as you can imagine, uh, as it has for everyone, and particularly this uncertainty. We, as humans, we don't deal very well with uncertainty. Uh, for me, I'm not actually an anxious person. I'm, I'm actually pretty calm and resilient. I deal with stress really well. I've done plenty of um, challenging things in my life, um, and of course, these sorts of roles uh, being the chief executive of this organisation and director general is, has its moments. You know, it's pretty stressful at the best of times. But one of the things I've really that's been really um, an eye opener for me is, as I have got at times anxious and stressed about, particularly the stand ups, not because not the fact of the stand ups, but just <clears throat> the relentlessness. You know, the day after day, you know, working 14, 20 days in a row, and then feeling that anxiety, which I'm not used to, and, and realising actually the most important, if I want to be resilient, I've got to be able to acknowledge that, own it, recognise my limitations, and then take active steps to, to manage it. And the big one for me is having breaks, you know, taking time out, getting out into the bush, spending time with family. But, you know, I guess that's been the thing that I really want to emphasise here is resilient people aren't resilient because they never feel stressed. They're resilient because they know what their triggers are, they recognise it, and they take active steps to prevent and manage it. So if I asked you directly, yeah. your resilience plan is what? Yeah. So my resilience plan is uh, making sure I'm having time with my family, physical activity, uh, just doing, doing nothing sometimes, just having downtime, trying to get a decent night's sleep if I'm not dreaming about COVID, and having a regular break, so you know, school holidays coming up, I'm taking a week off, and uh, and also, um, you know, another big part of resilience is connecting with people. So you know, working with my team here and coming into work every day and seeing fantastic people here, and that's what gives me energy then to to keep going. So how do you go home? Because a lot of business leaders and leaders that I've spoken to, the workload is absolutely non-stop if you want it to be. And I imagine during a crisis, you know, how do you limit that workload? What do you do? How do you work 12, 15, 20? How do you do it? How do you manage it? Yeah, look, uh, so, uh, you know, a 12-hour day would be typical, and then I do maybe a, a half a day or more on the weekend as well. Um, but that's the point, isn't it? It's saying, this is it. Because I could keep going 15, 20 hours, and I still wouldn't get it. I still wouldn't do everything that might need to be done. So you have to be able to put the boundaries about it. And a key thing for me is, when I do go home, I, I don't go home and just sit on the sofa and not communicate. I've got to go home and be my best self for my family. You know, I've got to have energy. I've got to be interested in them. I've got to be able to listen and also you know, be, a, be a good husband and a good father. So it's not just about being there, but actually being, being um, positive and, and my best self when I am there. Yeah, well that's one, of, I mean, I still struggle with that as, as a husband and, and father, I guess, when I'm out in the public, um, I just don't want to talk to anyone when I get home. You know, I'm just, I just sort of need to be alone and sort of recover my energy. So do you consciously keep your effort up or is it, come quite natural or you know you go for a run to get that energy back first do you have some sort of plan around that I haven't worked it out yet by the way yeah no I, well I think for me it's just you know on that drive home just it's really trying to just make that switch from work to home life 
I've never really had a problem with that switching off and and, um, and particularly on holidays. You know, once I go on holiday, I'm not looking at the phone. I'm not checking, I'm not even interested in emails. Someone else has got that. This is my time to just clear my head, just um, recenter, enjoy the bush, enjoy the mountains, enjoy time with family and friends. Are you a music man? Yeah, I love my music. What's, yeah. your, what's your go-to? Oh, just about anything. Um, one of the things I love, we've got the whole family on the same Spotify account, nice. so I really enjoy uh, seeing what my kids are listening to and, and also making recommendations for them as well. But, you know, I'm, a, I'm in anything from uh, Bruce Springsteen to, you know, all the classic uh, 70s, 80s stuff, but I also keep an eye on it, on new um, Kiwi music. Yeah. I love watching that and following that. Big fan of, you know, Tiny Ruins, Teaks, Elders Huxley, these sort of more recent... Uh, more recent New Zealand artists. I think the, the reason I talked about music, I think it's really, really important because our lives are so busy now that yeah. in the car, um, it's important to make a conscious effort actually to put that music on. I say to people, instead of making phone calls, what yeah. I do is I put, you know, I put a bit of Van Morrison on and pretend to be him and, and yeah. sing at the top of my voice because it is actually a trigger to start switching off. You actually it gain is, energy yeah. rather than lose energy. So is music a part of your sort of mental health plan, you use it a lot or is it just a random listen when you feel like it or you actually plan it? It's, it's a planned thing and that's both listening and playing because I play, I play the guitar and enjoy doing that and uh, um, we were just actually uh, having a, a little uh, lunchtime event today, it's the end of uh, Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori, Māori yep. Language Week and um, I surprised everyone by when we got to uh, the Waiata at the end I grabbed one of the guitars and it's a nice Waiata that one of our staff actually wrote, it's about um, about what a taonga, what a treasure um, te reo is for our country. And, uh, you know, there's nothing I enjoy more. There's, it's actually a great thing is singing with other people uh, because you, you, you just it's a collective activity that just, I think it releases the endorphins. Totally. And there's nothing like, um, you know, getting the guitar and having a good sing with the, with well, the team I'd, here. I'd like to thank you for the lockdown because I decided to take the guitar up, so I'm getting lessons. Good man. Adult learning's not that easy, though, to be fair. So yeah. Sounds like I'm strangling a cat in the lounge, but yeah. it's really good for my brain because, like I yeah. said to you before, I'm an active relaxer. Yeah. So, picking up the guitar yeah. and playing it. So, tell me about sport. I know that um, you know. What does the future look like for you now? What, what, what when you have to try and predict how our country's going? Yeah. There's been a little bit of. I've been pretty vocal about the Bledisloe Cup sport yeah. coming forward. I mean, how do you look forward? Keep the safety of the country in mind but also try and get us back yeah. to normal I mean, that, this is the big challenge that'll keep you awake oh well, definitely you know <laughs> the future of uh, the all blacks is exactly. in my hands exactly uh look well well first of all i should say oh, i'm a huge sport fan you know I, I i played rugby right through school and played a couple of years last team i played for was the uh, auckland U- university under 20 side who, were you in that, who was on that side there would have been a few oh, how old are you now oh well, can i say that yeah, on I'm, TV? F- I'm 54 so oh, there you go um, so you would no, have been with drakey and oh no they're they a bit older than me but i i do remember uh, foxy coming along to one of our practices because i was in the backs uh, playing in the backs and he gave us a few tips one of those uh, one of the practices there so you know i love my rugby i did a lot of stuff like athletics cross country pretended to play cricket uh, in the summer um uh, you know, now it's more kind of keeping fit, running, mountain biking, trying to learn to surf uh, oh, at nice. the moment. Yeah, just to do something new, as you said, learning yeah. new skills. Um, but in terms of sport, you know, organised sport in this country, uh, look, there, it's it's the same with all elements of, of you know our, our society. We've got to get this balance, and of course, we've learnt a lot in these eight months. I think we've done really well. We've managed the 
the outbreaks and we've, I think, had one of the best responses in the world. And to me, what that does is it gives us options. So, who, you know, I went to a few of the Hurricanes matches during our Alert Level 1, our 100 days of freedom, as it were. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember standing there with guys like Ian Potter and others saying, can you believe we're actually here mm. watching this game in a, in a stadium that was quite full, actually. It was great to see the big crowds back. That's where we want to get back to. But the pathway to that is making sure we've got really good control of the virus. So, look, I've, it's been great working with Mark Robinson on facilitating getting these Bledisloe Cup tests here. Yep. We didn't get the rugby championship, uh, and there'll be a whole lot of reasons for that. Some of them obvious, some of them not so obvious. But, you know, there are other sports we're looking at as well, netball, cricket. The whole idea is how can we, how can we host these, uh, these games here safely so that if, as many people as possible can attend? And the prerequisite for that, of course, is making sure we've got the virus controlled. So moving forward, um, you know, you're the steadying hand. You stand up there, give us all confidence that we're in safe hands. There's been a lot of talk about stress and anxiety for everyone moving forward. We've seen a little bit of a rise in, in actually talking about mental health. The real positive yeah, thing absolutely. about COVID is we're asking our mates, you know, you're feeling yeah. anxious and, yeah. and there's a lot more honesty around it. You know, what would you say to people from your experience of being in the public eye, having to cop a lot of the stress, what would you say to the New Zealand public about looking after their mental health moving forward? Look, uh, just to build on what you've said, asking you know other people how they are. It's, I, I saw this lovely phrase once: the, the biggest and smallest question you can ask someone is, "Are you okay?" And it's okay not to be okay, you know, which I think is a great saying. So, look out for other people. Being kind. I was so pleased that that was kind of one of the key mm. messages in our um, in our response. You know, stay home, save lives, be kind. And of course, that's be kind to yourself as well. You can't be kind to other people if you're not being kind to yourself. So you've got to look after yourself in the first place. And you know, the second thing is just going back to my earlier comment. Uh, resilient people are people who um, get stressed and anxious, but recognise it and and have ways to manage it and prevent it. So so think about what it is for you. We, this is an uncertain time. We're all anxious about what's going to happen. We don't know. But there are also things that we do know and things we can control. And it's those basic things that haven't changed. As I say, be kind, gratitude, fantastic thing for you know actually helping manage anxiety, being grateful. And one of the things that's just been such a great, uh, you know, great thing for my, my team here is the amount of correspondence and, and little gifts we've got from the public that come in every day from grateful New Zealanders who just feel that we've looked after them and it, you know they send them to me but it almost always says to you and your team and so you only need one grateful person you know to really feel okay it's worth it so being grateful ourselves is a huge a hugely helpful thing for mental well-being and think about the things that we can control and don't let COVID-19 define your life it's something we have to deal with but most of what it makes us happy. Most of what is about our lives is about the people around us and the things in our immediate environment. So just focus on those. They're the important things. And one last personal question, and I've been an all-black in this country and we're pretty popular, but I don't think there's anyone as popular as you at the moment. How's the fame thing? How's that going with you? How are you riding with that? 
Oh, look, mate, that's just been something I never imagined would happen. I mean, the fact that I'm sitting here next to you, like JK, I can remember all those uh, matches from the first, you know, Rugby World Cup, watching them and just thinking you were the man, and yeah. you still are. Yesterday, I had a photo with Graham Dingle, you know, oh, you know, uh, and you know, and my my uh, team are going, "Are you fanboying, Ashley? <laughs> this is a guy I've admired since I was a teenager." Yeah. Um, great New Zealander. So, you know, great New Zealander. So, you know, the fame, it, it is what it is, but I'm also aware, and my wife pointed this out really early on, that it also means that, you know, fame, and I know fame can be quite fickle, so it's not the fame per se, it's always focusing on just doing the best job for New Zealanders, and at the moment that um, includes quite a lot of exposure and a lot of visibility and publicity, and if that's, if that's helpful in terms of reassuring New Zealanders, and supporting our response, and this was this was the great thing about the first lockdown. You know, we surprised ourselves. I never imagined we would be so successful. It was beyond beyond what we might have expected. Yeah. And so, if I played a part in that, it's fantastic. The fame is a secondary thing. But the one the one thing that's been fabulous that I would say that's come with it is, you know, Ken Laban invited me to be involved in this rugby match. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I watched it. Yeah. In uh, over in Wainui Mata, and I never thought I'd be lifted it in a line out by Rodney Sciolo and Faifili Lavavi, and the nicest guys, honestly. Yeah. Uh, just fantastic. So, you know, that's been a real privilege, really. Well, just from me, thank you very much. I think that, um, you know, the way you've handled it from, uh, from a New Zealand point of view, you should just be incredibly proud. I know it's not over for you, and, um, but once again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your honesty and openness. And, um, someone who can stand up there and say, yeah, we didn't get completely right, but we're going to keep going, yeah. is sort of how we used to live as All Blacks, you know. Don't blame anyone else. Look at yourself first and keep trying to be the best you can be. So from me personally and my family and the rest of New Zealand, thanks for being you. Yeah, well, thanks, JK, and thanks for the opportunity. And thanks for being you as well and the work you do. You know, your mahi I really admire. Um, it's critical and you're making a real difference in this country. And I guess, like me, that's what you want to be doing. Yeah, exactly. I think um, New Zealand's a great little place with great people and some of our suicide rates and mental health we just got to get on top of, like we've got on top of COVID. Yep. I think COVID's been real positive from a mental health point of view. We can talk about it more, be yep. just a little bit more open and honest about it. And we do that, I think it'll have a you know, wash-on effect. I agree. Cheers. Go the Blues. <laughs> <laughs>